now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for joining us. This is The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're here every week to talk about your home, whether you're in the real estate market or if you're looking for tips on maintenance, smart upgrades, or any of that kind of stuff, this is the place to be. Our show comes to you every week with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, Carrie Augustini, insurance manager for Island Savings, Carrie Smith, home inspector from InspectTech, and the team at the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs. These are all amazing local professionals and great resources who would love to hear from you. If you're looking for advice, please do make sure to call the team members here at The Whole Home Show. They'd love to help. If you need their contact information, just visit the CFAX 1070 website, cfax1070.com. Look under Shows, and there you'll find us, The Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe. All their information is there, or you can always just reach out to me. I'd be happy to connect you. As your host, I've been selling real estate here in Greater Victoria for over 28 years. I'm a rare born and raised Victorian who's never left here. I love our town and I'm a huge community supporter. I've helped hundreds of people achieve their goals and dreams in real estate and I'd be happy to help you too. My hosting job here at CFAX is my fun job, but my real job is helping people. So if you are looking for uh, someone who has a lot of experience, who can help you through either buying or selling a home, your home, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to help you. You can, again, find my contact information on the CFAX website or my team's website. It's the Prime Real Estate Team, www.primeteam.ca. This week, we are covering legal cases and legal issues surrounding real estate with our show sponsors from the Sitka Law Group. Uh, in the studio will be Gurpreet Randawa, who is a partner of the firm. She'll be talking about specific cases, their court decisions, how they can affect you as a homeowner, a buyer, or a seller, and also other things to keep in mind of a legal nature when you're buying or selling real estate. We will start our show with our usual weekly listener question. If you have a question or curiosity about real estate, or if you've got a great story or experience to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can call our number here. It's 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. Or find us at the CFAX website. And we'll discuss it on the air. And an email this week from Daphne. Actually, I've had a few emails of this nature recently, but her question is, how can my kids buy a home? Prices are so expensive. Prices are so expensive. I'm afraid they're not, they'll never be able to. What are some tips to help them enter the market? Uh, Again, as I mentioned, this is a really common question out there. The average price for a single-family detached home in Greater Victoria right now is close to $900,000. It's really hard to fathom getting into the marketplace. You can still buy with 5% down. So on a $900,000 home, you will need $45,000 cash down payment, but it also means you're going to have a mortgage of about $850,000, and that is a lot. How can people do that? How can you get into the marketplace? This is not a new question, by the way, Daphne. This is something that I have been encountering ever since I got into the market 28 years ago. It's never been easy to enter the Victoria real estate marketplace uh, doubly hard now. There's all this conversation about affordability being an issue here in Victoria, also in the lower mainland. Vancouver, of course, uh, you can't, you don't get much for a million dollars in Vancouver. That's for sure. Our average sale price is nine hundred thousand in Vancouver right now. It's closer to one point eight million. Uh, wow! How do people do that? I'll give you some tips here, uh, Daphne. So, first thing is, 
getting into the marketplace and doing steps is something that is not new. And what do I mean by that is entering the market uh, in the condo level, for instance. So buying a condo, living there for a time, then moving upwards into a townhouse, and then finally moving into your house in a bit of time. Now, nobody likes moving. It's never lots of fun. Uh, unfortunately, the dream of having the little house in South Oak Bay with the white picket fence as a first home is long gone. Uh, now, why is the step system a good one? Here's the thing, because your kids need to live somewhere anyways. And unless they're living in your basement rent free, free they're having to pay rent somewhere. Uh, so buying a condo, even a small one, you know, do you ever wonder why all of these little studios or one-bedroom condos are so popular and common in Victoria nowadays? It's because this is what people are doing. They're getting into the marketplace. They are building equity in their condo because these things do appreciate in value as they have for the past few years. They will appreciate in value as the market continues to grow here in Victoria. And yes, by the way, it does continue to grow because we have more people moving here than we have moving out and we have geographic constraints with the water surrounding us. We've got nowhere to go but up. It's the reason why we're seeing a lot more condos. When your uh, kids are in this condo, they are not paying rent. They are paying a mortgage. And what the mortgage is, is, of course, a fair amount of interest to start because they're always interest heavy at the very beginning. But over time, when you look at a chart of the amount of equity that goes down, uh, over time, more of the mortgage payment goes towards buying or paying down, um, paying down the mortgage amount and building equity. So in five, six, seven years, not only will your uh, a child be building equity in the property, hopefully there will have been some appreciation in the condo as well too. And at the end of the day, when they decide to sell, they're going to have um, more money going in than more money coming out, I'm sorry, than going in. That's how you build equity. And then moving it up to the next step, whether they can do the jump from a condo to a house, which would be great, uh, or going to the townhouse and then the house. Another thing to consider, um, if they don't want to do the step method, is to look at other areas. So, you know, if 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 you want to be in town, it's going to be expensive because in any metropolitan center, the closer you are to the downtown core, the more expensive real estate prices are. So there's always growth areas. And for us, it's the West Shore. There's a lot of people who are enjoying their first home out in the West Shore. These can also include new houses, brand new construction on smaller lots. Uh, many times they have suites that are legal. Legal suites in Langford are very common. Uh, that would enable someone to not only grow their equity, as I just mentioned a moment ago, but also to start uh, producing income in a suite uh, that is legal. There's no concerns ever of not having that, uh, that uh, income coming in. But the key there, of course, is anything that's coming in should be saved. You need to save and build that equity in order to move up to the next uh, the next property. Um, that is really how to get into the real estate market. Uh, I have to say, quite, and I read it in the news quite often, and there's comments about people cannot buy real estate in Victoria anymore. Uh, I completely disagree with that, by the way. Let's not forget the fact that I am a real estate agent. That's my day job. We help people, including even right now, first-time buyers getting into the marketplace. I have been doing it for 28 years. There's always people getting into the marketplace, and there's always ways to do so. The government does help. You know, It enables uh, people to buy with 5% down on insured mortgages. 
uh, our show sponsor, Denise, uh, helps people on a daily basis get their first mortgages. Uh, and, you know, in many, many cases, it's not a lot more on a monthly basis to buy than it is to rent. The biggest struggle that people tend to have is putting together that down payment money and Here's the thing. This is a, this is a hard one for for some. And again, I brought this up uh, on this show before, and also on other CFAX interviews that I've done, is the discipline to be able to save. So if somebody is renting in the meantime, are you able to save any money, sock it away to start building for your down payment? It does mean making some lifestyle changes. I mean, I have my barber, uh, who I've been going to for years, we sold him his first condo two years ago. And here's a fella who's been living with roommates for years. Uh, he does not go to Starbucks. He does not buy a $5 coffee every day. He's been saving his money. He's got a good little business, but it's a small business. And by doing so, he was able to put down a significant down payment into his first home. That was two years ago now. I talk to him every time I see him. Uh, he is so pleased right now because of the fact that his condo has gone up $100,000 in two years. Uh, he has equity. Uh, he has a future now. He wants to be able to start branching out and start doing other things too. And had he not made that gamble and buying his first property, then he might be in the rental market forever. Thanks for your message, uh, Daphne, and for anyone else. If you have a story or a question about real estate that you'd like us to cover, just get in touch with us. The number is 250-414-6540. And uh, don't forget, you can download any of our shows on our podcasts on iTunes or Google Play. All 120-some-odd episodes are there. Lots of great information. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, we'll be chatting with our show sponsor, Gurpreet Randawa from the Sitka Law Group about important legal matters, plus cases and case law uh, and things that you can make sure that you avoid because no one ever wants to go to court. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We have with us this week Gurpreet Randawa from the Sitka Law Group. Uh, Gurpreet and her team are the official show sponsors and the legal team here for the whole home show on our CFAX, our weekly CFAX show. Gurpreet, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Tony. Great. So uh, what's happening out there in the world of law relating to real estate law? What kind yeah. of neat things have you seen recently? Um, lots happening. Uh, it's definitely a busy time of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, still lots of closings, beginning of month, middle of month, end of month. Yeah. Tis um, the season. Tis the season, yeah. as you would know. Yeah. Um, for the most part, um, I'm finding that uh, I'm seeing more and more buyers purchase property with parents yeah. or as groups mm-hmm. uh, for a number of reasons. Um, home prices, the mortgage stress tests. So having lots of discussions about how to protect each of the buyers in those types of situations, how to register title, co-ownership agreement. So I'm definitely noticing that's a... This is a great topic to talk about, actually, co-ownership, because people do bring this up. And as you said, houses are expensive. How do people get into the marketplace? We had that question from our listener a little bit earlier there. And uh, I forgot to mention that. But, uh, of course, uh, going back to Daphne, uh, who we talked talked about earlier, this is another way for your kids to own is to uh, share with a number of other people. Now, this is where you guys come in, uh, Gurpreet, because Mm -hmm. there needs to be an agreement in place that outlines all the details of that co-ownership, right? Absolutely. I highly recommend a written agreement. 
uh, which essentially sets out uh, the arrangement between the parties, who contributed how much, um, what happens if there's a falling out between the parties, they want out, um, what happens if there's a death of a party. Those types of things are all covered in a co-ownership agreement. Yeah, because yeah. sometimes people can't come come to the party, come to the table with the same amount of down payment money. So, um, uh, again, you know, sometimes people have been thinking about this plan, and if they're mm-hmm. concerned about, well, you know, maybe I don't have an equal share, well, mm-hmm. that can be addressed, right? Yep, exactly. All those types of things can be addressed in a co-ownership agreement. Yep. And also protecting parties. So if, for example, you have a situation where parents are going on title, to essentially assist children in being able to get into the market, then we want to have some protections built into place uh, for the parents because um, even though they're on the mortgage, they the arrangement between the owners may be that you know the kids are paying the mortgage mm-hmm. and responsible for payments. So yeah, and, a, and a parent doesn't want to be held liable for things that not their kids did, but their kids' partner in the ownership did, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, for instance, if 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 the kids' partner, I don't know. Uh, uh, had to claim bankruptcy or something or, mm-hmm. you know, had a whole bunch of liens put on the property, then, of course, the parent wouldn't want to be part of that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we also talk about different ways of, of arranging those types of transactions. Mm-hmm. Perhaps where parents do loan monies, they don't want to be on title, um, but they do want to secure the loan. So registering a mortgage in favor of the parents. We talk about those types of things as well. Promissory notes, loan agreements. Yeah. The key is papering what's actually <laughs> happening. Yes. Not just assuming everything's fine. Exactly. Or the other one is, you know, those agreements written on the back of a cocktail napkin yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and and not, it almost seems like no two cases are the same. Like everyone is different, right? Exactly. Yeah. In some cases, um, parents might be downsizing and do want to purchase a property with kids. They are going to be living together. Yeah. Everyone's on title. We should have an agreement in place that sets out who's paying for what. Yeah. What if parent needs to be moved to long-term Oh, care? so this is an agreement between within the family, so yep. between parents and the kids. Yeah, it could be between whoever's on title, whether it's a family member or business partners or friends. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it, it, it could be for different reasons. It could be a parent moving in with children, investing some monies into property, or it could be um, parties essentially pooling resources yeah. to be able to buy a property together. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, on one hand, it is it's a it's a more creative way to get into the marketplace, and in many ways, a necessity because of the fact that housing is expensive and it is it is requiring more creativity to get in. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, actually, it's kind of not new because we we have seen cases like this mm-hmm. for hundred years. Yep. Right. Yep. Even when houses were two thousand dollars back in the old days, this is the way that people were able to get into the marketplace. Right. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we should actually touch on wills, though, because if mm-hmm. you're talking about a, a parent and kids and stuff like that, yep. uh, how important is having the will set up? So important. Um, especially if we do have the parents on title with one child, there's other children, um, it's unlikely that that child wants to own the property with their siblings. They probably want the right to purchase the parent's interest from the parent's estate. Yeah. So it is important to have a will in place that, that reflects that situation, that gives that child the option to purchase a property from the estate. Um, and also for the children as well to have a will, because if they have their own kids, mm-hmm. perhaps they want their share to go on to their family rather than passing automatically yeah. to a parent. So absolutely, those are discussions we have anytime we have clients who are purchasing property with multiple owners, co-ownership agreements, but owning property generally a will something to dictate what happens to that property if you pass away. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the will seems to be something that people often overlook. And I, I know it because we've bumped into it as far as working on estates where there was not a will in place. Mm-hmm. And it gets really messy. Right? It gets really messy. And I find that's usually not top of mind when you're coming into purchase of a property because you have invested most of your funds mm-hmm. into getting this property. Um, but one of the key moments in your life where you really want to consider whether you need to have one in place. Yeah. For, for anyone who's listening or, or maybe for uh, kids of those who are listening right now who have not seen a will, I think it's pretty important to actually read one. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they can find one, like an example online or mm-hmm. something yep. just as far as how it's laid out and exactly what, what, it, what it entails, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Um, the key is obviously naming beneficiaries, but also ensuring that your executors have the discretion to deal with the assets as they deem appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps you don't want them to sell a property right away. What if there's a downturn in the market? Yeah. Perhaps you want to build in some discretions that allow them to retain property. Yeah. Um, so beneficiaries is key, but also ensuring that there's enough powers in place. Yeah, and and when talking about, especially with a young family, if there are young kids, uh, gotta start thinking about things like who's going to take care of the kids. Absolutely, right? yeah. Buying property is one of those milestones where you want to consider a will. But children, absolutely, mm-hmm. a will is one of the ways that you set out guardianship of minor children if something happens to you. Yeah, and there's some hard questions that are yeah. asked, like you got to figure out who that guardian would be, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And um, no, it's it's uh, again something that that you guys, of course, take care of. Yeah. Yeah, and it's good to hear that uh, you bring this up whenever uh, the whole real estate thing. Because for anyone who is getting into the real estate market, this is it's so much more than just buying a home. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you have all these new responsibilities, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Gurpreet, just as a reminder before we uh, take our break in a couple minutes here, how do people reach you guys at the Sitka Law Group? Uh, great to reach us by phone. Yep. Uh, so 778-265-2677 or email. Um, we do have a website, sitkalaw.ca. So there's a contact us. Uh, and you're active on Facebook, yes. social media. We yeah. see uh, you on the back of buses, yep. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, it goes with the saying, you you guys, when it, when it comes to lawyers, people are often afraid of, uh, oh, my goodness, you know, a lawyer can be such a scary proposition. Yeah. Uh, you are, you, you, all of you guys at the office are so approachable. Yeah. Uh, I've got to say all of our clients have been very happy uh, working with you guys. Thanks very much, Tony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really We've got that. a lot more to talk about, though. Um, actually, before, uh, before I forget, though, on the topic of wills, uh, what kind of timeline can someone be looking at if they're thinking of getting a will? Like how, how long a process is it? Yeah, so it depends on the amount of information the client comes in with. I generally recommend two to three weeks. Um, we can speed things up just depending on schedule. Oh, hold on, so, so two to three weeks from start to finish? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. So we generally have two meetings, an yeah. initial meeting to explain the estate planning process, obtain instructions, and then a follow-up meeting to sign documents. Okay, this might be a hard one to answer for you, but is there a sort of uh, rough cost? or kind of? I guess it depends, right? Yeah, it really depends on the situation. We generally bill a flat fee on a flat fee basis for wills, yeah. so um, it, I, it's a little bit uh, more cost-effective if we have a sp- a couple coming in together. Yep. So it's generally 650 plus taxes for a couple, yep. um, 400 for single. But again, it depends. Well, it's important yeah. for, for listeners to know. It's not like it's a $5,000 cost or something. Yeah, exactly. Right? So you're looking at a, under $1,000 to get a, a couple a couple done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, money well spent. And it, it is something that should be updated every once in a while too, right? It should be. We try to be as gentle as possible in our will. So we realize it's an investment. Yeah. So we'll try to plan for various contingencies. Um, so you don't have to keep making changes. 
Um, but absolutely great to review every time there is a milestone that occurs in your life. Yeah. You have a child. Um, you want to change beneficiaries, change guardians. You've separated yeah. from a spouse. Those types of milestones uh, are, are definitely moments where you want to review. Good stuff. All right. Well, listen, we need to take a quick, a quick break now. Uh, but when we come back, we're having a conversation on legal matters with Gurpreet Randawa from the Sitka Law Group. Back in just a moment. Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. This is The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show comes to you every week with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, Carrie Augustini, insurance manager for Island Savings, Carrie Smith, home inspector from InspectTech, and the team at the Sitco Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs. These are all amazing local professionals and great resources who'd love to hear from you. If you're looking for some help in any of these matters relating to real estate, please do make sure to call our team members here at The Whole Home Show. They'd love to help. Speaking of which, our guest today is Gurpreet Randawa. She is one of the partners of the Sitka Law Group, and we are talking about legal matters relating to real estate. Uh, thanks again for coming, Gurpreet. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, you're, you've been here several times yeah. already. You're getting really good at this. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, um, let's talk about the things that your firm handles because uh, for certain firms specialize in certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, real estate is one of the things that Sika Law Group does. Uh, what other things? Yep. So we're a general practice. So we do a lot of solicitor work that includes residential and commercial real estate. We do wills and estates, estate administration, so the probate process. Mm-hmm. Um, we also practice personal injury law. So we have a team of lawyers who essentially practice in the area of ICBC and non-ICBC motor vehicle accidents. Great. And corporate, of course, is one of our main areas of practice as well. And the things that you do not cover? Yeah, so we don't practice any uh, immigration law, criminal law, intellectual property law. Got it. Yeah. Right. And one of the nice things about your office, too, is uh, instead of the usual downtown thing, trying to struggle to find parking downtown, you guys are located not downtown. Where are you? Yeah. We're located at Shelburne and Cedar Hill Crossroads, yep. so just above Coast Capital. Lots of free parking, which clients really appreciate. Yeah. And a yeah. big office, too. You've got, yeah. like, the whole upstairs, it seems like. Yeah. We, we share it with an optometrist's office. Yep. Um, but we do have uh, quite a bit of space uh, on the second floor Because there. how many lawyers are on your staff right now? We have nine lawyers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A good size firm, good size firm. Uh, and again, to any of our listeners here, if you're looking for uh, some direction or help in legal matters, make sure you reach out to uh, Gurpreet and her team at the Sitka Law Group. Um, we were talking a little bit earlier about uh, making agreements between parties who want to buy real estate together. Uh, during the break, you had also mentioned that you're seeing a lot of cases where parents are refinancing to help their kids buy as well too, right? Yeah, exactly. We're finding situations where parents have built up equity. They've own their property for several years and obviously they've increased in value so we are seeing situations where parents are refinancing property to pull out some equity which can then be used as a down payment for children yeah. um the key in those circumstances is ensuring that the lenders are aware that that's what's happening yes because um, you have to sign various documents as part of the process yeah. confirming that the funds for the down payment are not borrowed funds yeah because the lender and, and denise uh, from uh modern mortgage group would tell us that mm-hmm. the lender wants to make sure that it's not an extra debt exactly like if the parent is expecting a repayment or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So key is ensuring mortgage broker and lender is aware of that situation and having an agreement again in place. For sure. 
Now, the other thing that, that we have been finding with families, too, and it, I guess it seems kind of strange, but uh, we've had parents that have basically said, you know what, I, I would like to have my kids enjoy their inheritance now while I'm alive instead of waiting until I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And that way uh, the parents can sort of uh, appreciate that with them as well, too, right? Yep. Yep, we're definitely seeing that as well. And in those uh, scenarios, we'll have discussions with the parents. Let's look at your long-term planning, care costs. Are you going to need this money back? If you do, how do we secure it? Mm -hmm. Um, And we see situations where parents want to transfer principal residence to a child. There's a property transfer tax exemption in those circumstances. Yeah, so if the the kid is going to be taking over the the parent's house. Exactly. And in those situations, we also want to look at the parent's circumstances. Are they going to continue to live in the property? How do we ensure that they can continue to live in the property mm-hmm. if they are essentially transferring the property during their lifetime? Got it. Uh, just shifting gears a little bit here, uh, because this is an area of huge confusion, and you guys are on the front lines of dealing with all of this speculation tax, mm-hmm. foreign buyer tax, yep. all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. How, how much fun has that been? Oh, my goodness. We're all learning together. Uh, yeah. um, we definitely have more information uh, on, on those taxes now. Uh-huh. Um, but again, from a buyer's perspective, budgeting, yeah. ensuring that if if you're not a permanent resident or a Canadian citizen, you're able to come up with the additional property transfer tax, yeah. which is substantial. Yeah. As a, for, as a foreign buyer, it's an additional. So it's the, it's the main property transfer tax, which already exists. Yep. And it's an additional 20%, yeah, right? Yeah, it's substantial. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had to collect that? Uh, yeah, we've had a few transactions where we have had foreign buyers. Oh, my goodness. Um, and it is a substantial amount. Yeah, because you're collecting it for the government. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking if it, I mean, hey, let's do the math here. If it's an $800,000 house, that's $160,000 in tax. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It is substantial insuring. And you have to pay it at closing. Yeah. So it's a part of the statement of adjustments. You have to bring in that amount. You can't borrow the money. No. No. Goodness. Uh, The speculation tax is also something that has also added some confusion because Mm -hmm. uh, when people are moving, uh, as an example, Mm -hmm. uh, I have somebody right now who is moving from Saanich, from Victoria to New Zealand. And in our purchase agreement, Mm -hmm. it looked like the house was going to be empty for uh, a month and a half. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the seller's scare was, oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm a Canadian resident, I've lived here for the year. Uh, When I'm gone, it doesn't close for a month and a half. Mm -hmm. Does that mean I'm going to have to pay the speculation Mm -hmm. tax? Mm -hmm. And, you know, she wasn't getting a straight answer. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to to get the information. As I said, everyone's learning together. Um, We're definitely able to answer those types of questions better now that we've seen the legislation. Mm -hmm. Um, There's various exemptions. built into the scheme. Um, The good thing about this particular type of tax is it's not attached to property. So whereas with property taxes, for example, you want to ensure that you collect from both parties. Um, With speculation tax, it is a personal tax. It is the property owner's responsibility to pay it if it's payable. Um, You want to ensure definitely when you're buying that if you don't plan to live in that property, that it's a vacation property, for example, you want to budget for that annual speculation tax. Um. <laughs> it's taxes all over the place. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. While we're on that topic, I want to bring up this case. You and I had sort of talked about it uh, um, a little bit. It's Mao versus Lou, and it was 2017. Mm-hmm. And this had to do with a closing where the buyer's notary failed to confirm mm-hmm. whether or not the seller was a uh, resident of Canada. Mm-hmm. 
So, you want to talk about that for a brief moment? Absolutely. Anytime we're representing buyers, one of the documents we prepare is a statutory declaration regarding residency. Yes. If the seller's a non-resident, then the buyer's lawyer should essentially hold back 25% of the sale proceeds until we get a clearance certificate from CRA to ensure that capital gains is not payable. That way the seller isn't leaving the country and not paying their taxes, right? Yeah, and if they do do that, we have enough money to remit to CRA. Okay. In this particular case, uh, it was a foreclosure situation, which is a bit unique. Yeah. In those types of situations, the party selling the property isn't the owner of the property. They're not the owner. No. Yeah. And sorry, it's not a foreclosure situation. It was a creditor yeah. who essentially took conduct of sale. Yeah. Um, in and, any and event, it wasn't the owner that was selling the property. Yeah, because the, the, the buyer's notary asked the lawyer if it was a resident of Canada and the lawyer could not answer that question. Yeah, so the notary asked essentially the seller, which was a creditor, uh, to confirm whether or not the owner of the property was resident. Mm -hmm. The lawyer could not confirm that because they didn't represent the owner. They represented a creditor, which is quite common in these types of situations where you have a foreclosure or court-ordered sale. There's a risk to buyers in these situations because you're not going to get this type of information you normally would get from a seller. In this case, the seller unfortunately was a non-resident. It was never confirmed. So the essentially new buyers or owners of the property did receive essentially an invoice from CRA with unpaid taxes. They were on the hook. They were on the hook. The buyer was on the hook. Yeah. Yeah. That's a scary story. It's a very scary story. Um, You want to ensure that, you know, you do essentially have a lawyer who's going to be able to, you know, represent your best interest, is going to be able to satisfy themselves as to whether or not a seller's non-resident because the buyer's potentially on this on the hook for this unpaid tax. Yeah, so the, the, the end of the story here, so the person that, it, that was at fault was the notary, right? It was, yeah. In this situation, the court did hold that the notary was responsible, yeah. that the notary had agreed to essentially confirm residency and failed to do so. Wow. Yeah. Wow, and that's a bad thing. Yeah, a lesson for buyers and lawyers and notaries, for sure. Oh yeah. my. Talking cases is fun, and you know what? We need to take a, a quick break here, but yeah. we're going to pick up. we got a couple of other cases that we're going to talk about as well, too. Um, but uh, the lesson of that one there is make sure your lawyer or notary is a good one. Yeah. Like the gang at the Sicko Law Group. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're here today with Gurpreet Randawa, who is a partner with the Sitka Law Group. We're talking about legal cases and legal stuff regard, uh, relating to real estate. Uh, such a fun conversation. Thanks again for coming, Gurpreet. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tony. Yeah, so um, we talked about a case just now, just before the break uh, about a, a notary not confirming the uh, residency status of a seller. So, again, we know that the buyer potentially could be on the hook for um, uh, unpaid taxes. Yeah, exactly. Right? So let's talk about another case right now and um, one about... Uh, inspections, caveat emptor, mm-hmm. which is the old buyer beware. Yeah. So there's a story that uh, you and I have been talking about, mm-hmm. about uh, rot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that for a sec. Yeah. So the, in this, so this particular case really gets into the distinction between uh, latent defects and patent defects. So what do sellers need to disclose to prospective buyers yeah. and what do buyers need to satisfy themselves? Yes. In this particular case, there is an issue about wood rot and mold resulting from water leaking into the walls of the house that these prospective buyers were purchasing. Essentially, they had entered into a contract to purchase. They had an inspection done. There was no issues. They removed conditions, which essentially meant that they needed to complete. Yep. 
And after they removed conditions, they essentially became aware of various issues that existed with this house. Yeah, like the neighbor had house. noticed something like there was work going on and there was yeah. a... And there's contractors who came through yeah. a few years previously to deal with with these types of issues. Scary. Very yeah. scary. Yeah. Um, and the inspection didn't reveal these issues. Well, how can they? Because yeah. it's within the walls, right? Exactly. Hard to know. Yeah. yeah. Inspections are non-invasive. So yeah. unfortunately, the issue wasn't detected. Um, so the buyers did did go ahead and complete this transaction. They didn't want to lose their deposit, mm-hmm. and they needed to deal with remedying the issues that existed with the home. The cost of dealing with these issues was in excess of $100,000. It was $140,000. Exactly. Yeah. So the issue here really was, were the sellers aware of these issues? Was there a duty to disclose? You know, did they fraudulently misrepresent? Yeah. And the facts here essentially evidence that the sellers were aware of the issues. Mm-hmm. They had tried to make a claim to their insurer a few years prior to selling. The insurer essentially denied. Oh, there was a history to this. There was a history. Yes. Exactly. That's key here. There was a history of these ongoing issues. Yeah. The insurer denied the claim. They weren't going to cover, you know, dealing with remedying the issues because they also found that it was an ongoing issue. Mm-hmm. And the contractor that they had go through the property to assess the damage suggested repairs that would cost anywhere between forty and $50,000. Yeah. The sellers decided that they weren't going to take the advice of the contractor. They tried to do some patchwork themselves. They wanted to do it themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And then decided to list the property. Yeah. Um, in this case, the buyers were successful in their claim against the sellers because the court essentially found that the sellers were aware of the issues so there was a duty to disclose. Yeah. They tried to conceal the issues mm-hmm. by doing the patchwork, which essentially amounted to fraudulent misrepresentation, yeah. uh, as well due to a few other reasons that existed as well. Yeah. Um, the court does get into a discussion about property disclosure statements. Yeah, so that's the checklist that people fill in yeah. that talk about whether they're aware if there's any moisture or uh, issues in the basement crawl space, stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Now, buyers generally shouldn't rely on these property disclosure statements to satisfy themselves of the state of the property. Mm-hmm. It's just that statement is just presenting essentially the present state of knowledge that the seller has in relation to possible defects. Mm-hmm. Buyers still have an obligation to satisfy themselves with respect to the state by having inspections done and so on. Yep. Um, but in this case, there was a question about moisture issues and the sellers essentially said that they were not aware. You know, based on the facts and the history, yeah. it was clear that they so were aware. So it was aware. a complete lie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I guess let that be a caution to any seller, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. It, things can come back uh, to bite. Yep. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. be uh, forthcoming with information. You don't have to disclose, you know, every single issue that you've already corrected and dealt with. But in this case, it was clear that the sellers didn't act in good faith to deal with the issues that that contractors even suggested that they remedy. And and one of the things to consider as well, too, is that disclosure statement, that that property condition disclosure statement, it's it's really meant to be the the start and not the end of Mm -hmm. a buyer's investigation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As you said earlier, it's buyer beware, caveat emptor. Buyers have an obligation to satisfy themselves as to the state of the property. Sellers are only really required to disclose latent defects, defects that uh, a prospective buyer wouldn't be aware of, defects that would render the property unfit for habitation or dangerous. Which was the case in this particular one. Exactly. Yeah, so the final analysis here is that the uh, judge awarded the buyer, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. The buyer was successful. Mm -hmm. Um, They essentially claimed for repairs, so they 
obtain a judgment for the cost of the repairs plus costs. Yeah. yeah. And but but the reminder though is this is not a fun process. No. 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 And I I would suggest that the buyer had they had the opportunity probably would not have bought this house. Yeah. Had they known these facts, right? Exactly. Or they would have negotiated the purchase price. Yeah. Differently. Yeah, if they sure. ha- were aware of the issues. For sure. Yeah. My goodness. I mean, and, but this is a kind of com- somewhat common uh, example, mm-hmm. right? And this mm-hmm. one here was uh, Sahamis versus Lens 2014. By the way, uh, for any listener, if you're curious, about uh, court cases, you can find everything online. Uh, the Real Estate Council of British Columbia uh, has a, a, a lot of these cases uh, uh, quoted, and that's where we get all of our background information from, too. So, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little uh, for a moment about that termite case? Sure. Yeah. yeah. There was a, another case uh, that we reviewed. Uh, essentially, in that particular case, it was a buyer seller situation. Seller's uh, property had a termite infestation issue. Um, the When the sellers became aware of it, they did have a pest control company come through, um, essentially established a chemical barrier to prevent uh, further termites from investing in the property. Um, they listed the property for sale a few years after they had the work done. In the property disclosure statement, there was again a question about whether they were aware of any rodent issues, yep. and they said no, yep. they weren't. Um, the court got into a discussion about essentially a seller's obligations, what they need to disclose on those property disclosure statements. And in this particular case, the court did find that that the sellers did answer correctly. Yep. The present state at the time that they completed that disclosure statement was that there was no termite issue. It yes. had been addressed. Yep. The property disclosure statement was completed in winter. The property sold in spring yeah. when the rodents, when the termites started uh, to, to become an issue again. Um, so, again, very, very important for buyers to do their due diligence, have inspections done. I mean, one of the things that happened in this case was the seller did, when they had the pest control company go through the home to create this chemical barrier, there was a few... The um, follow-up. There was follow-ups, right? There was follow-ups. Yeah. And there was also holes that were created as part of the process, which the seller essentially filled yeah. um, with rubber covers and matting. Um, the buyer argued that that was concealment, uh. that they purposely tried to hide the issues, and the court held that that was not concealment. Yeah. The purpose was to essentially prevent spiders and other rodents from from entering, entering the property. Um so in this particular case, the, the buyers were not successful. Mm-hmm. Um, the sellers did fulfill their obligations in essentially presenting their current state yeah. of knowledge with respect to the property at the time. Well, that's the key because the question on the disclosure statement is, are you aware of any infestation by insects or rodents? It doesn't say in the last X exactly. years or since you own the house. All it says is, are you aware of any? Exactly. And it, and it could, and it, and it was argued in this case here yeah. that, that at the time that they filled it in, the answer was no. Yeah, exactly, that they had addressed the issue. There was also a question about whether any repairs had been done within the past two years, and they actually had the pest control company come in uh, just outside of that time period. So again, they had fulfilled their obligations and answered correctly. Yeah, such a complicated process. It is. Right? And, um, you know, when the the courts of law are the ones that ultimately make these decisions, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Exactly, and and they start with the premise Caveat emptor, buyer beware. The exception is latent defects. Yeah. Yeah. So defects that the seller's aware of that the buyer wouldn't 
be able to uncover. And it's a reminder to anyone who is buying that, you know, you have this opportunity to do these inspections Mm -hmm. and to uh, make sure that you do your due diligence and and cover all these things. That includes things like septic inspections, Mm -hmm. uh, drainage, Mm -hmm. uh, storm drains, Mm -hmm. roof inspection, everything, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's, with the time we have left, let's, let's cover really briefly the last one, which is the, which is the murder one. Exactly. Yeah. This okay. is one we, we've seen in the media as well. Yes. Um, so in this particular case, it was a property in the Shaughnessy neighborhood. Vancouver. Exactly. Um, uh, the, the, essentially the owner of the property never really lived in the property. Her daughters lived in the property. The owner lived in China. Um, one of the daughters, her husband, was involved in gang violence. Mm-hmm. He was actually shot outside of the property. Yeah, like right outside the front gate of the house. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and for various reasons, uh, the owner decided to sell. The daughter of, of the murdered uh, resident of the home was switching schools. Yep. So that was one of the reasons why they decided to sell. Yeah, and the question was asked too. So the yeah. buyer said, why are you selling? And they said, well, because the daughter is switching school. Exactly. Yeah. So um, in this case, the buyer became aware that there was a murder after lifting conditions. So again, we're this unconditional period. Yeah. When she became aware, uh, she refused to complete. Yeah. She said, this property is dangerous. Um, given what's occurred here, it's essentially it's a, a latent thing. defect. Yeah. Yeah. She argued it was a latent defect. Okay. Um, and the owner ended up selling to somebody else for substantially less. Yes. So the owner did sue the prospective buyer for damages yeah. because the buyer failed to complete after removing conditions. There was a detailed uh, analysis that occurred essentially with respect to what's considered a latent defect. Yeah. So a defect that you have an obligation to disclose um, which renders the property dangerous or unfit for habitation. Yeah, that could have an effect on the value. Exactly. Yeah. And the court did get into a discussion about whether subjective uh, events, like, for example, a murder, um, are are necessary to disclose to prospective buyers. And in the end, the court held that that the seller did not have an obligation to disclose mm-hmm. that there was a murder that occurred mm-hmm. at that property. It didn't render the property unfit for habitation or dangerous, that the prospective buyer did still have an obligation to complete. Yeah. So there's that argument between is it a defect or is it a stigma? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And in this case, it wasn't a defect. Yes. Yeah. Now, this one went further, though, right? Because it also went through appeal, didn't it, or go up to the next? Yeah, exactly. Um, so at the trial level, the the plaintiff, which happened to be the owner, yeah. um, was unsuccessful. The court did hold that it was a defect, and so the owner appealed. And the court of appeal essentially reversed the trial judge's decision mm-hmm. by holding that this was not a defect. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, again, it's it's what is the seller, what's the seller's story? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it's a common question. So, you know, culturally mm-hmm. uh, in uh, I think both of our cultures, mm-hmm. the, um, uh, Asian, South Asian, Chinese, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. There's this concern about death yeah. and, and murder. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, there's a reluctance to purchase or, or live in a house that has had that. Right. Yeah. So that was a legitimate question. Mm-hmm. And what, what we train licensees is when somebody asks that question, if we know the answer to the question, it mm-hmm. has to be answered. Mm-hmm. It does not need to be disclosed up front because yeah. it's not a uh, defect. Exactly. It's a stigma. Yeah. But so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. It good is, times. Uh, Grafreet, thanks for coming on today. Yeah. Uh, again, if people need to reach any of you guys at the Sickle Law Group, uh, best way to do that? By phone. So 778-265-2677 or email or through one of our social media channels.
Great. And you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to put on the uh, CFAX, uh, on our Whole Home Show uh, website, the links to these cases. So if any of our listeners want to read them just for fun. Yeah. You know, bedtime reading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Bedtime reading. Yes. But if, they, <laughs> if anyone ever has any questions of a legal nature, please do call the gang at the Sickle Law Group. Uh, and to the rest of our listeners, we'll be here for you this time next week.